actually will be interviewing as a team. You are the best movers on the planet. So, bro, what kind of muscles you have? No. Bro, what kind of patterns you have? We're here to fuck shit up. Spotify. All right, but I think we we were just saying before we started recording. Um, I think you wanted to, you wanted to thank your um, your shoe and supplement sponsor before we got started, right? Give out your discount code. Yeah. Also, what I'm drinking here is a special proprietary blend. <laughs> it's a uh, green. It's greens, greens, reds, and um, yeah, it's it's fair trade, vegan, no carbs, no protein, no um, yeah, no fats. So, yeah, <laughs> no calories. We'll throw the uh, the the link below for your, for your discount code, so everyone everyone can snag that. <laughs> so yeah, it also the, has tercasterone. Ter oh, per oh, perfect. That's what we need. That's what you need for the gains. Um, yep. But I, I think I'll give Devin a little intro here because you know I think he's a little too modest sometimes. So Devin and I probably worked together. Devin was my coach for probably two years. Um, really helped me with my handstand push-up, one-arm chin-up progress, uh, dragon squat. We even did a, a cycle of just generalized lower body strength. And the thing that really stood out to me with De working with Devin as opposed to other coaches, um, and this is just strictly my opinion, you know, I, I started to get the sense when I'd work with other coaches, you know, that they were at where they were at in their physical practice, really despite their programming. Where, where Devin, it became really relevant or evident that he was where he was at in his progress or his practice really because of his programming. And it really, um, it really became obvious, you know, when I'd ask Devin a question, when he'd give me a coaching cue or feedback, or we were talking about like the mechanism behind why we're doing it this way, he'd give me a really well thought out detailed answer that, you know, I'd be like, that makes sense. Um, as opposed to unfortunately, a lot of the, you know, pseudoscience, bro science, you know, a cue that someone just reads on Reddit and they repeat, you know, over and over again with no real context behind it. Um, so that's why I wanted to get Devin on. I really wanted to hear his take on, you know, we were going to talk about one arm chin up, planche, handstand push up and lever. Maybe we'll get to all of them. Maybe we'll get to one of them. Um, but you know, he's have a, he's had a lot of success with it. And I think his approach is it's different than what everyone else is doing. Um, and I, we were saying beforehand, the one I wanted to start with, just because you've had a lot of recent success is, you know, lever work, whether it's dynamic, whether it's static, it really doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I figured we'd start jamming on that because you've had, you've been, you've been killing it lately. Yeah. Lever's, lever's, lever's an interesting lever, lever. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Levers are interesting, you know, because I, I feel that they're distinct from a lot of the other movements that I work on in some ways and that I have progressed in over the years. You know, for example, like I've gotten a lot of criticism and flack on the one arm chin up stuff because I'm, I'm so heavy on the volume and there's a lot of stuff that we're doing is like, you know, in the, you know, five to 10 rep range. Uh, and like, while I understand, I, I, I get the perspective that, um, this is not the most specific work you can be doing to be working toward a one-arm chin-up. There's a price for throwing someone into a high-intensity program before they have the adequate tissue adaptation to support that to support that high-intensity work. That's always been my perspective, and so I I tend to start with higher volume work in most of these movements, like one-arm chin-up, handstand push-up, um, and and most other strength movements, deadlifts, squats. 
I tend to start with a with an accumulation cycle, and that accumulation cycle is significantly longer than most people would program. Significantly longer, and then with but with um, with front lever, I find that there's a, there's a distinct difference there. Yeah, that the the same approach doesn't really work. So um, yeah. Right off the bat, it's funny when you were talking about the the volume. I remember all the volume you were having me do for the one arm chin up work. You know, it lasted, you know, twelve, sixteen weeks, something something absurd like that. But honestly, no one else had ever had me do that. Everyone else was having me just do, you know, um, t- t- it was too intense all the time. You know, and I think that's that's why we see a lot of these elbow and shoulder injuries with the one arm chin up because, like you said, they don't have enough of the the tissue adaptation. Right. Yeah. And that is one thing that I can sort of boast about my own program is that although it may not be the fastest way to get a one arm chin up, I acknowledge that I'll concede that for sure. But I haven't ever had anybody get an elbow or shoulder injury on my one arm program. It's funny that you say the fastest because at the same time, we're kind of playing Russian roulette and, you know, some people may get there quicker, but then other people may get there slower because they end up getting injured and they have to take 10 steps back and rehab the injury first. Whereas someone on your program, you know, has been more conservative and they have a more, I don't want to say linear progression, but they have a more upward progression as opposed to this massive downward progression where now they've yes. set themselves. So, so I, I would say your, your approach, it may seem slower, but actually in the grand scheme of things, it may actually be faster in kind of its own backward sense, if you get what I'm saying. Right. And that's one theme you'll find if you talk to me about programming is that I'm very sort of like, it's, yeah, it's like talking to a grandpa. You know, (laughs) think think about where you'll be in 15 years. (laughs) Well, even when you and I did a phone consult, I remember you said to me, you were like, I do one day of specific one arm chin up work and then one day Mm -hmm. of generalized work. And that might have changed. I don't know if it's different, but, you know, you you look at other people. You know, I was on a podcast recently and I sound like a goddamn genius when I told him that. And he was like. I did three days a week of specific work and I got hurt and I was just kind of like, well, yeah, no kidding, you know, Uh, but yeah, yeah, but based upon like this basic principle that you, you, you kind of instilled in me, um, you know, it's, it's mind blowing that nobody else approaches that way. And I, I don't know why, and we could rant on that, but I want to stay on the lever because you were saying you find the lever not to work the same way as these other movements. Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, I've, I've got to plead ignorance. I really don't know. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know why. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I can give, I can speculate. Here's, yeah, here's speculate. one reason I think. Um, <clears throat> with with lever, if you're trying to get in higher volume work, it's really, really hard to scale it while yeah. staying specific. Yeah. Whereas with a one-arm chin-up or handstand push-up, if you have the body awareness, you can make it specific. Even if you're doing, you know, you can hit the five, 10 rep range targets and still make it quite specific but like with with front lever the spe- just the specific engagement matters so much in what muscles you're hitting and where you feel it and the, the specific tension in the, in those areas that if you're trying to hit these higher rep targets oftentimes you're not doing work that's going to transfer to the to the actual skill which is unfortunate because it would be nice to do some of this higher rep range stuff but in my opinion if you're going to be doing higher rep range stuff you can't really expect it. I mean, you can't expect it to prepare your tissues and to, you know, contribute to injury mitigation, but you cannot really expect it to, 
to uh, skyrocket you toward your front lever goals um, without any assistance. Do you think that comes from it's just it's we're lacking intense? The intensity is just too far gone once we hit that higher rep range and try to scale it too much. Yeah, I think it's also it's it's also technique. Okay. Like the specificity of the technique and the mm-hmm. specificity of the muscle activation that that that's required for the movement, it changes when you reduce the intensity um, more so than for other movements. Okay, that's my uh, view. I'm I'm good with that answer. Um, so th- then, <laughs> if we're not getting as much volume per session, are you doing shorter, more intense sessions on a regular basis? Is that what's been working for you? Yeah, actually, higher frequency, lower volume higher intensity and, and, and by higher, higher intensity, I mean stuff that's like in the, like somewhere like RPE seven, RPE eight, RPE nine, somewhere in there. Okay. And, uh, two, uh, one to two reps, okay. one, one to two rep sets. So I'm, I'm not really going over and then, and then I'll finish since now I've accumulated enough volume specific to unassisted front levers. And I know what it feels like and my body knows it and you know what I have to do to activate that pattern, then I'll finish sometimes with an assisted with some um, assisted higher rep. So I'll do like sets of three or sets of four to finish of uh, um, lever pulls from parallel. This, this movement specifically in tremendous pull from parallel. So you start at parallel and pull your hips up to the bar, come back down, back up to the bar and down. Is there any, so I, I've seen the setup that you have in Bali, you know, the, the low parallel bar or pull bar, bar that you're yeah. using. Yeah. Um, is that why you're doing the half lever pulls? Is there a reason why you're not doing the full? Because I, I know always when you program lever work for me, it was always from parallel to the top. We never did really full range of motion pull. So is there, is that just due to the equipment setup you have? Or is there a reason why you like that range of motion as opposed to the full one? Well, I'm, it's, I'm going to sound like a spoiled brat here, but actually I have that bar design custom for myself. So, <laughs> so you do have a sponsor. So what, what's the discount code? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a sponsor. Believe it or not, Wes, uh-huh. despite my social media influence, I actually paid for it. Oh my God. Yeah. You paid for that's. Can you believe that? Oh, you're, we, we need to get you a, we need to get you an agent here. That's, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and you know what, and you know what happens when you pay for something? Well, then you're not obliged to promote it against your good conscience. Wow. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it's, a, it's actually a bar that I had custom designed for that specific purpose because I wanted to be able to access the parallel position um, without any prior fatigue. And, bec- and I did that because I know from experience that that this is probably number one priority in terms of improving front lever to be able to start in that position, generate force from a dead stop in that position. And then when you come back down through the eccentric, stop it there again. That's what I've seen the most progress with. And I'm not, I'm, to be clear, I'm certainly not saying that, that pulls from dead hang are not useful. I think they are. And probably I'll do a phase soon where that's my, that's my, main focus where I'm pulling and pausing. But I think without a pause, if you don't pause at, at least at parallel, um, or if you're not moving slow, there's way too much potential to use momentum and yeah. not get a specific carryover when you're pulling from a dead hang. That's just my experience. As you were saying that, that the light bulb went off right away with the, 
the amount of momentum you can generate from that dead hang, um, even with yes. proper form, is tremendous. And I've seen it across the board with people. You know, they can do full front lever pulls from a dead hang, you know, but then, yeah, but then from that parallel position, you know, they're, they're barely doing half lays, you know, and it's because you can generate a lot of momentum from vertical to that 90 degree position, which is going to propel you up. Yeah, right. And that, and that goes back to reducing the intensity so much that yep. you're just not activating the specific muscles that you need to in order to, yeah, in order to accomplish the movement unassisted. And the momentum here serves as the assistance. So it's the same principle, just in a different, different setting. But then it, everything changes once you've understood the demand. The specific. Your, let me rephrase that. Once your body has understood the specific demands of the unassisted movement, then all bets are off. Then you can do whatever you want to do, and you can still access that same feeling. Mm -hmm. You can still access that same potential. That's why I think. You know, when you see someone who's very experienced in front lever, they use all the, they can now use all these crazy methods to improve their hold time or, or improve their, their, the number of reps that they can do with pulls or improve the number of front lever pull-ups they can do or rows, front lever rows, however you want to call them. Um, that's because they've accessed the feeling. They, they know what it's like in their body. So not to jump too far off, cause I, I like the lever topic. Would you say it's similar to the one arm chin up? Cause I've experienced this and it looked like you just recently experienced this when you test out your one arm chin up. Um, you mean with the, the specificity thing and yeah, having yeah, experience like you, in your body? Yeah. Once your body kind of knows the pattern, you can just continue to get stronger and you don't need to be as specific with the movement pattern. Right. I, I, that's, that's kind of a judgment I would have to make retrospectively, yeah. which is risky. Mm -hmm. Um, because, so I don't, I don't really actually know if that's what, cause I couldn't feel it. Do you know what I mean? Like when yeah. I was working on the weighted chin ups for those mm -hmm. years, for two years, I worked on weighted chin ups with no, with no one arm chin up work. I couldn't real I, in my brain, it didn't really feel specific to me. And that's why I was so surprised and, and pleased when I came back to the one arm chin up after all those years two years is not really all those years but after two, <laughs> for all those years then then yeah i was pleasantly surprised that that i had made it because it didn't it it doesn't really apply i think more what contributed to me maintaining that skill over time yes was was an understanding in my body of what the skill was but mm -hmm. Also, just the, spe the, the specific tissue adaptations I developed from doing such tremendous volume year after year after year for three years, I was doing like pretty high volume one arm chin up training and not injured. So I was very consistent with it. Mm -hmm. Then I think it's really hard to lose it when, when you integrate that kind of volume. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I see what you're saying. It's kind of one of those things, you know, you look at what's a good example, like even high level Olympic lifters, you know, they, they leave for, you know, numerous years, but you know, the pattern's still ingrained there. Um, they still have yeah. that foundation from all that time, all those reps they put in. Um, but getting back to the lever where you were talking about feeling those specific muscles. So this is a, this is a good question. And this is one that we talked about when you programmed for me was the, the mm -hmm. function of, you know, the scapula as opposed to, you know, the hips and the core, like how much accessory work are you doing for your, and I kind of know this answer, but other people don't yeah. like, what are you doing? Like, are you doing body levers? Are you doing, you know, dragon levers? You know, are you training your core? Like, where do you see it in terms of scapula versus lower body holding us back in the lever? 
I'm I'm only doing core work, Wes. I'm not doing any front lever work. And <laughs> that's just you'll get the just do core work and you'll get the front lever for free. Yeah, that's what it is. For free. So. <laughs> I love when I get things for free and I don't have to work hard at all for it. Everybody loves free stuff. You'll get a free magazine too. So I'll throw that in there with the package. I haven't gotten a magazine in the mail and I don't know how long. <laughs> Do people still read magazines? I, I, I don't, don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't do any of that. The, the answer is actually the opposite. I don't, yeah. do any, I don't do any specific core work. Like in the past when I was like doing a bunch of calisthenics work on my rooftop, I had phases where I did a little bit of dragon flag stuff, and, but I never really felt it contributed really to my front lever. Because I think the, the demand, unless you have, a, I mean, a stupendously weak abdomen, um, which, which is the case with some people, to be fair. And if you have a stupendously weak abdomen, doesn't mean you're a bad person, but definitely means that you have something to work on. But the, the probability that it's your abdomen that is the weak link or your hip flexors, because you're not really holding up that much weight. With, like, those muscles are extremely well-equipped to just do that. You know, and, and actually they tend to do the job too well because when we're weak, they'll actually take over the movement. We'll start to flex our rectus, abdominis. We'll start to use our hip flexors and uh, bring, our, bring our legs up toward the bar first. First of all, to shorten the lever, but also just because those, those muscles are so strong in that pattern and we're so used to like moving in that direction with those muscles that they will easily rely on them for that job. So I no, I don't think that the that doing this kind of like core stability work, whatever you want to call it, or um, yeah, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that helpful. I would say that the role of the scapula is obviously it's obviously um, takes precedent over everything else. Would Would you say priority? Would you say that's the general theme for all these movements, even if we don't discuss them all? You know, front lever, one arm chin up, planche, handstand push up, the scapula, like makes up greater than, in my opinion, you know, 80% of the mechanics of the, the movement. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't say that it's the same as front lever because front yeah. lever is exceptional in the sense that it's a straight arm movement, you mm-hmm. know, like whereas handstand push up and one arm chin up are not, um, you know, and even plant say, you know, the scapula play the, you know, your scapular protractors, Yeah, for for one arm chin up, for example, the percentage of the scapula, like if you're talking about like scapula versus biceps, I'd mm-hmm. say scapula is still higher priority. It's if you can generate more force with your scapula, then that's really going to be the make or break thing. Yeah, right. But you know the bicep does matter because once you pass a certain point, aka like ninety degrees, then the bicep's going to start to take over. But then you know, again, if your if your scapula is not doing its job, then your bicep's going to have to work a lot harder, and so on and so forth. And that's where you start to get injuries too. Um, and same with handstand push up. Like, if your scaps aren't moving well, you I mean, there's a lot of telltale signs. You see it mostly. It's the retracted shoulders. It's the arching back. You know, and people with strong scaps. You know, I've always been impressed watching people like. club and he's 
you know, he's amazing to watch because he's the way it, it's almost like his shoulders are almost moving mechanically because his scapular are so stable, scapulae are so stable that, um, you know, he doesn't at all fall into that retracted pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just generating so much force there that his shoulders, yeah, his shoulders are, it, it almost looks freakish in the sense that his arms look like they're independent of his body. And, <laughs> you know, so that's a, that's a sign of a really strong scapula and the reverse is true as well. You know, when you see people losing that and falling into elevation of the scapula, um, depre- uh, sorry, elevation and um, retraction of the scapula, then and uh, extension of the thoracic spine, then now they're trying to rely on their shoulders and their triceps to, to do all the work. And mm-hmm. inevitably, that's, that's gonna, it's not going to be as efficient and it's probably going to lead to injury too. I know you and I have gone back and forth with, with my technique in one arm chin ups. And then sometimes we'll just, we'll break down random people on the internet's one arm chin up and we'll be like, was it the start or the ending position? You know, like did, did they have a weak um, start position with that scap retraction? So that's why they failed at 90 or did they have weak, like, do you know what I'm saying? Or did they have weak biceps? And that's why they got stuck at, cause a lot of people get stuck at 90 degrees on the one arm chin up and they say, you know, my biceps are weak or the second half is weak. When, when a lot of times it's, they didn't generate enough force with the scapula to get to that point. So then they just ran into the wall more or less. I know you and I have gone back on that a lot with, with mine in particular. Right. Sure. Or they just couldn't maintain the scapula depression and retraction yes. mm-hmm. enough. So then that, that, that when they hit that 90 degree point, now the biceps having to do people who do excellent one arm chin ups, uh, really, really smooth, really strict, really strong and they they have scrawny biceps you know they're not they're not rocking like huge bodybuilder biceps Uh um and you know maybe i mean yeah they're strong for sure they're they're strong biceps but not exceptionally strong you know Mm -hmm. really what's impressive about them is their ability to pull from the shoulder and that's where the movement's coming from yes of course the biceps doing more work than it is in front lever of course but the same like the interior delt and the triceps are doing a lot of work in handstand push-up, but it doesn't mean that it's the most important thing. Like where I've seen the most, here's something that you might find interesting. I found a lot of progress in my handstand push-up over the last year or so um, when I've tested it randomly. Like I haven't even really tested it. I just jump up and do a random rep here. I don't go to failure yeah. because I'm, I'm doing an experiment where I want to see what effect the overhead press has on handstand push-up. If I, if I get to a hundred kilo overhead press, whereas my previous PR was 80 kilos. So if I put, if I put 20 kilos on my overhead press, what effect is this going to have on my instant pushup? And so doing a lot of uh, Z press and strict standing overhead press, really focused on technique, not relying on momentum or stretch reflex at all, like really just kind of brute strength in the scaps and in the shoulders. And what I found is that by focusing on that, that true strength element and taking away the skill component for the most part, um, my handstand push-up has transcended a lot of the barriers that I thought were going to be there forever. I thought that I was always going to have this little bit of arch when I started to get you know, fatigued. I thought that I was old, like even in my first couple of reps, it, wasn't, it, it felt good, but it felt like it took so much energy to hold it all together. But I mean, now 
is just bang out a few reps and it's I mean it's literally it feels so much lighter and my um you know my scaps are much more stable i'm not falling into thoracic extension i'm not falling into scapular depression i mean uh, scapular elevation and retraction it's just happening naturally and it just feels like I, there's there's no other way to describe it, but it just feels like I can muscle myself up now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take it. Whereas before I had it, I was tremendously dominant in technique. Okay. So like, for example, I, I couldn't press my body weight. So I was, um, when I could do eight consecutive full range of motion, handstand pushups, I could not press my body weight overhead. I couldn't even press. I think I was like, my limit was like 70 kilos. When I was at, I, I was weighing, I was weighing 79, 81, between 79 and 81 kilos. And I could do eight full range of motion, handstand pushups, like just a ridiculous amount of technical efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Even though my technique wasn't um, aesthetically pleasing, yeah, it was efficient. And so I had figured out a way to get it done. But, you know, relying on that too much i took that to the extreme the technical component of the handstand push-up because yeah. that's just how my mind worked but i realized that i was because that's my strength as being technically minded i realized yeah. that i was really selling myself short on the strength component so i was like all right i'm gonna get a hundred kilo overhead press you know or die and then we're gonna <laughs> see <laughs> we're gonna yeah. see what happens and, and it's the result is pretty much what i expected it to be it's that i was lacking raw power you know the one theme that I, I really picked up from you working with you as long as I did, and then just like even what you post on social media, like I would just make this um, assumption whether it's correct or not. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's a general theme that most people just aren't strong enough for a lot of these technical skills or they start training them too soon. Um, would you agree with that? Like, where do you stand on that? Yeah, it's hard to say because, you know, I, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with jumping in and training yeah. something right away before you have the strength to really yeah. do it with technical proficiency because that, in a way, it will help you to prime yourself and help you to understand the requirements necessary. Mm-hmm. But there, there is definitely, I think to your point, there's definitely a point of diminishing returns where if you try to become technically proficient so hard and for so long, without actually addressing your strength deficiencies, then you're eventually going to end up in a spot where, where I was, where you're stuck on the same number yeah. of handstand push-up reps and you're stuck with a technique that you're not really satisfied with and you can't seem to change it. That's when, you know, you know, you've gone too far and probably I should have stopped way before that, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that, that makes sense. And I like that. And honestly, cause you're absolutely right. I think there needs to be whether it's just because people want to train the movement pattern because that's what they're excited about. So, you know, um, training morale or to feel the, the movement pattern or feel what, what the, you know, that actual pattern feels like. Um, let's touch on one last topic and then I'll let you go, buddy. Um, so, so you've done a lot of aggressive vertical pulling work. Well, we could say aggressive. You've done a lot of vertical pulling work. Um, and mainly it seems to focus around a lot of supinated work and then the ring chin-ups. Um, do you do any just specifically pronated work to assist with the lever work just to go back to the lever one more time here, or do you feel the lever work in that supinated or that pronated hand position is sufficient enough to then you can work supinated, um, vertically. Do you you understand where I'm going with this? 
Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. Like, I haven't ever really liked supinated pulling work that much. Okay. Um, it feels, it's, I mean, I, I do it sometimes with like body weight stuff. But for example, I don't really do weighted pull-ups. Supinated or pronated? Pronated. Okay. Pro yeah. Okay. I don't really do weighted, uh, you know, pronated pull-ups. Yeah. I only do weighted chin-ups. Um, and that may be due to like the brachioradialis injury that I had yeah. for, you know, for some time and that, that I have a hesitancy, a hesitancy there in my body. And, mm -hmm. but it just never has really felt very good in my shoulders either. I noticed that there was an association between doing a lot of pronated vertical pulling work and, uh, but pronated hand position, yeah, uh, vertical pulling work, and some of the shoulder injuries that I was experiencing years ago, and I'm talking like you know four or five years ago, when I had a lot of tendonitis in my supraspinatus, um, and what else was um, up, and I think that the pronated hand position vertical pulling was agitating it, and so I just kind of naturally stayed away from it. And, you know, for the, I, I don't really find that it's necessary to, to a certain extent, the weighted chin up work combined with the, the pronated hand position lever work seems to do the trick because when I, when I was at, you know, my, my best, uh, back when I was like 79 kilos and I was pulling, you know, three or four reps, one arm chin up, uh, pretty consistently. And yeah, I was I really, I still hadn't done any pronated hand position vertical pulling, but I was able to just jump on a bar and do multiple reps of pronated hand position one arm pull ups. You know, so I'm sure I'm sure the reverse can be said for a number yeah. of athletes. I know I know a number of people claim that if you work on one arm pull ups, then you'll automatically get one arm chin ups too. I'm not saying it works one direction, but for me personally, I tend to prefer vertical pulling with a with a supinated hand position and the front lever work. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I'm sure once I get a little bit more advanced, I can play with the supinated hand position, but for now, um, pronated hand position is, yeah, it's, it seems to be sufficient. It, it works. I don't think you need to do like people who say like, Oh yeah, you need to be doing both. I don't know if I really agree with that. I think it depends on you and your you know injury history and what, what you like to do, what gets you up in the morning. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Makes, makes total sense. And honestly, like I said, the, the results speak for itself. You know, you, you've experimented with both. You found a reason why you don't like it and you're, you're staying healthy and being successful in the training. So, you know, it's tough to argue that. Um, if you, do you want to tell us the secret behind the, the thumbless grip, like w all the benefits? Well, it's really the only thing that provides benefits, I would say. That's what I figured. <laughs> all the other things you're worried about with, the, with your pulling and pushing work, I mean, they're really just, they don't matter. The only thing that matters is thumb position. So if you take one thing away from this, that, that's, that's the thing. The, the, it's, it's called a suicide grip for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're going we're to call it right there. Um, dude, I, I, really, I really appreciate your time because I know you're busy. Um, that was awesome. I got a lot out of it, so I don't really care if nobody else gets anything out of it. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> always, always a pleasure, dude.